So what I want to show, and as you remember from the way I did the, the last set of charts, I have some affirmative charts and some negative charts. Affirmative charts are used to try to prove my position. The negative charts are used to try to respond to their main arguments, right? We're going to try to mix, we're sort of mix and match today. To begin with, let's turn to familiar passage, Matthew 1.23. Dan, read that for us when you get there. Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. In the NIV, it says, and we'll give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So Jesus had this name. Emmanuel, and it means God with us. Now, that simply, to me, simply proves he was God. He was God with us. Make sense? Yeah. Y'all stop me anytime you have a question or a comment that you would like to make. And then a very famous passage, which is going to lead us to our first negative argument. But John 1 1. Dennis, you want to read that? We talked about this a little bit with, uh, in one of Eric's classes, I believe. Mm-hmm. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Okay. So, we know from verse 14, which says the Word was made flesh, that the Word refers to Jesus in this context. In the beginning, then, was Jesus, but he was not a human body, of course, until verse 14. In the beginning was Jesus... And Jesus was with God. Who would that be? Right? And Jesus was God. Now, to some, that doesn't make a lot of sense. How can you be with God and, and be God yourself? Now, to me, this perfectly fits the Trinitarian position. Right? Except it only gets you two of them, not three of them. But two, uh, we'll say at least two persons in one God, in one Godhead. That's the only way you can have something be with God and that something also be God. Right? Now, the Watchtower folks and the Christadelphians, they believe God the Father is God, but not Jesus, and, and not Holy Spirit. I assume the Christadelphians believe the Holy Spirit is just an active force, like Eric said the Watchtower folks believe. So one person in the Godhead, according to them, Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. That shows there's at least two persons. How can you be with somebody and be that same person? Be with them and be with God and be God if there's not at least two persons there. Make sense? And so this shows the deity of Christ primarily when it says the Word was God. Now, the Watchtower folks in their, that, uh, what's the, uh, New World Translation that Eric showed us? They'll have, the word, I think he already pointed that out to us, the word was a God, small case, G. So they say, oh yeah, Jesus was a God, but not in the same sense as God the Father. He was a God, like we read about over in John chapter 10, 34 and 35. So turn over there. And Eric went over there, or it's just, uh, actually, I think, not Eric, but uh, Greg turned over here. When he was when when he was showing us how the Mormons try to prove a council of gods, now, this mentions God's plural, uh, and is a quote from Psalms 82, which he talks about being a council of gods. It says in John 10:34, "Is it not written in your law? I said, Ye are gods. If he called them gods, unto whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, and so forth." Now hold your hand there, and let's go back to Psalms 82, where this is quoted from. And uh, we looked at this with Greg a night or two ago. I think it might have been Tuesday night. Psalms 82.1, God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. How long will you judge unjustly except the persons of the wicked? Verse 6, I have said you are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. Greg pointed out this is really talking about people, judges. Uh, and, they're, and they're called God in the sense, I believe, in that they stand in judgment of the people in place of God. You follow me? Instead of God judging them directly, he had a council of judges to judge them. And so they were called God, small case G in that sense. Now the Watchtower folks will say, see, Jesus is, is uh, in, in John 10, 
they're accusing him of blasphemy in verse 33 because he makes himself a god. He says, why are you uh, getting on to me for making myself a god? Uh, haven't you read in Psalms 82 about gods there? You know? So their argument then is, is that Jesus is only a god in the same sense that, that those, the, uh, the council of judges were gods in Psalms 82, verses 2 and, through six, two and 6. That he's only a god in that sense. But he's not really divine. He's not really deity. Okay, I believe that was your first homework question. The question number one is Jesus is, this is their answer. I mean, this is their argument. Jesus is only a God like the divinely appointed judges referenced in John 10, 34 and 35 and Psalms 82, 6 and 2. Now, this is the argument they'll make in response to a passage like John 1, 1. They call Jesus God. They'll say, yes, but only in the sense that John 10, 34 and 35 and Psalms 82, uh, 6 and verse 2 or something. Y'all follow a bit reasoning? All right. What did y'all come up with on that? Well, here's the quotation. I want to make this point. And it says there is no other God, we shall have other gods, small g, before me. And then you shall not bow down to these gods. And to show that Jesus is a God, this God is Hebrews 1 6. When the Hebrew writer writes, when he again brings the first one in the world, he says that all the angels of God worship him, the first one in Christ. So God says worship him, that means you only worship God according to the law. Okay. In other words, you're showing a difference between Jesus and the gods of John 10, because those gods could not accept worship, because they were really men, they were just standing in the place of God. But Jesus accepted worship, so that showed he was God in the sense of deity, or divine. Right. He was worshipped, that's right. Okay, that's a good point. Actually, that's a good point. Actually, that's a good point. Actually, that's a good you know, you, in fact, uh, He was born to Mary to be able to send up to where he was before. 
John 8, 58, before Abraham was, I am. He existed before Abraham was born. John 17, verse 5, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. So Jesus had glory with the Father before the world even existed. He, he must then have existed before the world did. Philippians 2, 5-7, Christ Jesus, who being the form of God, made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Now who's the one that made himself of no reputation here? Christ. When did he do that? Right. In, in, being, in taking upon the flesh. In the process of being born. So he obviously existed before then because that somebody who existed before he was born, in being born, made himself of no reputation. Second Corinthians 8, 9, For you know the grace of our, of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he, though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that through his poverty, that ye through his poverty might be rich. So it says, though he was rich, Jesus Christ, yet for our sakes he became poor. When did he become poor? Uh-huh. So when was he rich? Before. That's what he gave up. He gave up these, quote, riches. So he, when was he rich? Before he was born. He existed then before he was born physically. First Corinthians 10, verse 4, talking about the Israelites, it says, They did all drink the, the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. So Christ followed the Israelites. He must have existed then. First Peter three nineteen, By which also he, talking about Christ, went and preached unto the Spirit in prison. When did Christ preach to the spirits that are now in prison? Before he was. I believe it's somebody if you go to the context from Noah. You know, Noah preached while he was building the ark. And the point of First Peter 3 is it's saying that Jesus preached to these people that are in prison. Not, not that they uh, were in prison when he preached to them, but they're in prison now when the book was written. But he preached to them through, through Noah. While Noah, through Noah, while Noah was alive, and then now those folks are in prison in Hades, or eternal, uh, I guess it'd be Hades. So when, he must have existed in Noah's day to be able to preach through Noah. Micah 5, 2, whose going forth have been from of old, from everlasting. Like Greg made the point, I think last night, it goes back all the way. His going forth, is to my Jesus, goes back, backwards, everlasting. He existed forever. Back, back in the back, just like the Father. So we see the pre-existence of Jesus. That helps us see the difference between him and these judges in John 10, in Psalm 32. We see that he existed before he was physically born. Now, here's a point that's along the same line as the one Dan made. And that is, is that Dan made the point that he's not, he's not like these divinely appointed judges because he could be worshipped and they couldn't be. That shows there's a big difference there. Here's another big difference. Is Jesus really just a small case G God? Then how do you explain all these passages that say he's the creator? Now that's just showing what Mr. Vine said. The word is used of divinely in John 10, appointed judges in Israel as representing God and his authority, which indicates that God himself sits in judgment on those whom he has appointed. So let's go back to the chart. You guys already know this, but let's go over the verses. Jesus was the creator along with the Father. Colossians 1.16, I'm picking up quotes here. It says, Here's his dear son, for by him were all things created. All things were created by and for him. Who created all things according to this? Christ. Christ. God's dear son, Christ. Hebrews 1, verse 2, has in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. So this is saying that God the Father made the worlds through Jesus Christ. He used Jesus Christ to make the worlds. In John 1, 3, all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Nothing was made that was made was made without Jesus Christ doing it. In Genesis 1.26, God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Notice the plurality there. He was there in the very beginning. So God, so Christ was the creator. 
along with the Father, of course. Does that sound like a divinely appointed judge, just a man, a small case G God, the creator? Now, this is not just a small case G God. This is a God who made the world. Notice what Philippians says about Jesus Christ. We're still on this point, well, he's just a small case G God. Philippians 2, verse 6. I have to, uh, to get it fit on the chart and still be big enough to see. I cut out a lot of words, but it basically says, Christ Jesus, in the King James, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Now, the point there is, is that before Jesus came to this world, he thought it not robbery to be equal with God. In other words, it wouldn't be, he was equal with God. It wouldn't be stealing anything to say he was equal with God. It wouldn't be robbery. The New King James Version says, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. In other words, he was equal with God. If I said I'm equal with God, that would be robbing God. The American Standard Version says, counted not the being on equality with God a thing to be grasped. So he was equal with God. The simple English New Testament, he did not think that being equal with God was something to hold on to. Again, it shows that he was equal with God. Does that sound like the small case G God? The one who's just God in the sense he's a divinely appointed judge and he judges in the place of God? No. The point of verses 6 through 8 is that Jesus was equal with God, emptied himself to become a man, a servant at that, and died beyond that. To say that Jesus was only a man would miss the whole point, that Jesus lowered himself. And as the point at the bottom, it would be hard to be equal with God if you were not God, deity yourself, Right? So we're still answering this part about the uh, small case G God. Does this sound like he's a small case G God? We read Isaiah 9-6 a few times this week. Unto us a child is born, born, his name shall be called the mighty God, the everlasting Father. So Jesus is the mighty God. Does that sound like a small case G God? The mighty God? Again, let's point out the fact that he's everlasting. See these verses here talking about Jesus, where Jesus says, I am Alpha and Omega. Y'all know what Alpha and Omega is? Right. So it represents the beginning and the end. Well, it says that. The beginning and the ending. I am Alpha and Omega. The first and the last. We would say, I'm A and Z. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I called one like the Son of Man. So Jesus is not just a small case G God. He's the mighty God. Questions or comments? Isaiah 9-6. This is a prophecy about the birth of Jesus. Mm-hmm. He's not the everlasting Father in the sense that he's God the Father. But I forget the passage. There's a passage in the New Testament that talks about us being the children of Christ. We're sometimes looked upon as his brothers and sometimes as his children. He's, that's not saying he's God the Father, though. Anyway, that's Isaiah 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Now, if you get a, in a study with the Watchtower folks, they say, come by and knock on your door. I always try to study with them. But, you know, they always want to just teach the whole time, but I try to get in my teaching also, along with them. Here's a couple of passages you can remember. John 20, 28, and Acts 20, 28. We'll talk about John 20 in a little bit. Acts 20, 28 is a good passage. Because in both of these, you know how we said in the New World Translation, they like to change how it's translated in order to fit their doctrine. Uh, well, they don't in John 20, 28, and Acts 20, 28. So let's look at this one. Here's the King James Version of that. Uh, Dennis, if I had you read yet, read Acts 20, 28, Dennis. Therefore, take heed to yourselves, and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Okay, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Who purchased the church with his own blood? It wasn't God the Father. It wasn't his own blood. He didn't have any blood. So what is Christ called here? Called God. We could have said, we could have just as easily said the church of Christ, since it's the Thomas of Christ, but it says the church of God which he has purchased with his own blood. Now we do have places where the Bible talks about the church of God, I think referring to God the Father. 
But in this place it's talking about Jesus. Because it says, which he, that is God, purchased with his own blood. The New King James Version, the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. In ASV, the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I put these other translations up there in case they question my translation. Then I read the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. As we already mentioned, this is obviously talking about Jesus, since he is the one who shed his own blood. God's Father has no blood. Let's notice some passages that show that Christ is the one that shed the blood. Now, we're not saying that God the Father had no sacrifice at all. If somebody sacrificed my son, that would be a big sacrifice for me. As a matter of fact, I'd rather die than my son. You follow me? But even though the Father did make a big sacrifice in losing his son, it is still true that the Father did not shed any blood himself. He didn't have any blood to shed. When we're talking about somebody shedding his blood, we're talking about Christ and Christ alone. Revelation 1.5, and from Jesus Christ that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Matthew 26.28, Jesus is speaking here. He says, this is my blood of the New Testament which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Jesus is God, at least according to this verse he is. Questions or comments? Next turn to 1 Timothy 3 verse 16. Read that for us, Dan, when you get there. 1 Timothy 3.16. Okay. Notice it says God. Are we talking about God the Father or Christ here? We'll see. God was manifest in the flesh. Who was manifest in the flesh? God the Father or Jesus? Second person of the Godhead was, right? Justified in the Spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles. Who was preached unto the Gentiles? Believed on in the world. Who was believed on in the world? Received up in the glory. Who was received up in the glory? God the Father was never received up in the glory. He never came down to be received back up. So the God that is talking about here, who was manifest in the flesh and received up in the glory, has to be talking about Christ. Now remember, these watchtower folks that you might run into or the Christadelphians are saying that Jesus was not God. These verses prove that he is. Another reason, there's a bunch of reasons why we should study this. One, to edify ourselves. Two, as we said, personal work. Help us in our personal work. But three, also, it helps us to have a, a good appreciation for Jesus to know he's divine. If we can respect Jesus even more because we know he wasn't just a man... He was a man all right enough, but he wasn't just a man. If he was God, then perhaps that will help increase our love and respect and obedience. Respect for him and our obedience to him. In this text here, 1 Timothy 3.16, is the word God there in the original text, the Greek word, which is all over that, even in the theos? Well, I don't know. I assume it would be theos or theos. But I don't have my interlinear with me. I have my interlinear at home. It's just in my footnote here, I have a few of the text reads, who, the word of God, I hope it's there, so I don't know if you're a translation of that. Italics? Yeah. No, mine doesn't. Not to this, I don't know what it's called. Wait, can I see it? I have a little asterisk, or I don't know what you call that in English. Asterisk. Okay, and down here it says, the translation says who was manifested. But I guess in the context it was still revealed that that's why they translated it that. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the NU text means another text. The net, probably the Nestle's text. Mm-hmm. Is this the King James probably? New King James. The, King James. the New King James the King James comes from, came from what I call the majority text. Yeah. The NU is going to be another text. You follow what I'm saying? Yeah. So they're saying the other text has a different Greek word there. Okay. I think that's what they're saying, but ask Bob about it. He'd know. Do y'all know what I mean? What we mean we said text, different text, majority text, and a Nestle text. Yeah. When a... Uh, Well, what would it mean if you said, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness, who was manifest in the flesh? Who would it be talking about? 
who mean you're referring back to somebody. Like I say, uh, God is great, who is, or Dan and Dennis are my friends. Dan and Dennis who came down from Canada are my friends. Well, who is refer back? Who refers back to somebody I just mentioned? Yes. So it has to refer to somebody. And the only thing maybe would refer back to God and godliness? I don't know. Romans 9, verse 5. You want to read that, Dennis? Of whom are the fathers and from whom according to the flesh, Christ who is over all, the eternally blessed God. Amen. You must have the New King James Version. Mine said Christ came who is over all, God blessed forever. You just read Christ came who is over all, the eternally blessed God. NIV, Christ who is God over all, forever praise. So who is called God by this verse? Christ who is God. What about this one? Christ came who is over all the eternally blessed God. So Christ is called the eternally blessed God. Again, it's showing he's deity. He's God. Not God the Father, but he's deity. He's divine. He's God. John 1 1. Well, that's all you need. If you're in a debate, though, then you've got. In a debate, you don't use every argument you can think of, even if they're weak. I only use strongest arguments, but all of these are pretty strong arguments. So in that case, if there's ten strong arguments, I want to use all ten to show this is overwhelming evidence to the audience from the other side. All right. Next homework question. John 17, verse 3. This is one of their most popular proof texts. This is homework question number two. Daniel, read that, John 17, verse 3. And this is eternal life, and we know you the only, the, the only true God and Jesus Christ in the sin. Okay. Now, who's speaking here? Christ. And he calls, who's he talking to? The Father. Right, verse 2, he's in a prayer. He calls the Father the only true God, and then he says, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom thou sent. And so, their argument is, is that the only true God and Jesus Christ are being contrasted here. So that he's the only true God. The Father is the only true God. So Jesus Christ can't be God. Because the Father is the only true God. Okay? Response? Well, in, this, in, this verse, in chapter 17, he himself says that I am in you and you are in me. So that puts him again on an equal level. And then also in 1 John 5, 7, it says, For three... For there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, from John on knows is Christ, and the Holy Spirit, these three are the one. And and that's really the idea we're getting at here, is that since Jesus is not really uh, totally separate from God, the Father. So when he says to the Father, you are the only true God, he's not excluding himself because he's part, him, him and the Father are part of the one true Godhead. What he's really doing is he is contrasting God the Father with all the false gods out there, not with himself. Here's all these idols out here. You're the only true God. I think we're some recent passages in one of Greg's lessons, maybe a night before last, they talked about how there were gods, but it was some idols. Yeah, those are gods, but they're not true gods. They're false gods. So, the Father is the only true God in contrast to the idols. Not ruling out Jesus Christ or the Holy Spirit being God, though. Right? I have this verse doesn't mitigate against my position... Because I don't believe in two gods. If the verse had said just the opposite, you are not the only true God, then that would not have, then that would have contradicted my view. So John 17 can't come to contradict my view. Simply put, we don't believe that there are two gods. John 17 verse 3 proves there's only one God. But that doesn't rule out Jesus being God because he's part of that one God, or part of the Godhead. 
Notice, only here is not contrasting the Father with the Son, but the Father with those who are false. I've already, uh, I've already mentioned that point. And my opponent agrees Jesus is not false. They don't believe he's God, but they don't believe he's false. They don't believe he's a liar at all. Alright, now notice this passage in Isaiah 44, verse 6. It says, Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. And he goes on to say, And besides me there is no God. Now who's talking here? The Let's look at it. Look at it carefully. I, 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 may have, I left out some words there, but I don't think they're critical to understanding who is talking. Who thus saith... Isaiah okay. Uh, okay. Okay. Forget about Isaiah being the uh, pen, penman. Oh, you said on behalf of the Lord. Who is he speaking on? Isaiah speaking on behalf of? Look at it. The Lord and both. The Lord and the king. Both. Notice it's not just the Lord, the King of Israel, saith. Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and His Redeemer, the Lord of Hosts. Now this would be God the Father, and who and His Redeemer is Jesus Christ. He he. He's saying both of them say this. They're saying it together. It'd be like saying, uh, my wife's name is Carol. It'd be like saying, thus saith Pat and Carol. That means both of us are saying it. Alright? So let, let me read the whole thing. I want to make, make sure there's nothing to dot, dot, dot that I'm better, that's important. Thus saith the King of Israel and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first, I am the last, and besides me there is no God. Now in John 17 verse 3, talking about the Father, it says, He's the only true God. Well, this one says, besides me, there is no God. That sounds, that's pretty much the same, same, the same thing, just a different word, right? But who's the me here? Who's the me? God the Father. Not, it's God, the, it's both. Thus saith, that we agree that both of them are talking, Pat and Carol, besides me. Besides me, that's the Father and the Son. The Father and His Redeemer. Besides me, there is no God. So John 17, 3 says there, there, there is no God. Talking about God the Father. This one says there is no other God. When it's talking about both of them put together. You see that? So that, all of that can't be true if Jesus is not deity also. In other words, if, let's say there was an atomic bomb explosion or they had the World War III with all the atomic bombs and my wife and I were the only ones left. Or let's say it was my son and I. Since somebody might could technically say Carol's not a Donahue, and she just married a Donahue. But my son, Pete. Pete and I are the only ones that survive. Well, the only Donahue's that survive. Dan and Dennis and Pete and I were the only ones there. Dan could look over at Dennis and say, besides Pat and Pete, there is no Donahue. Now, if you said that, who are the Donahue's? Pat and Pete. And there's nobody else. But Pat and Heath are Donahue's. Besides Pat and Heath, there are no Donahue's left. So just like John 17, verse 3, Isaiah 44 is in contrast to idols, if you look at verses 8 through 10. Besides me, there is no God in contrast to idols. We're not trying to contrast God the Father versus God the Son, or God the Father versus the Holy Spirit. The Son is included here in God. Notice these passages. We're still talking about the use of this word, only true God. In Ephesians 4, 4 through 6, it says there's one Spirit, one Lord, one God, and one, one God and Father of all. Now, the Spirit here would be the Holy Spirit, right? And one God and Father of all would be who? And who would the Lord be? Alright, so there's one Lord. Does that mean that the Father is not Lord? Isn't the Father also Lord? He's the Lord. He's boss. Lord just means boss. He's boss. So when it says there's one Lord, is it, it's contrasting Jesus with every other human or every other person, but it's not contrasting him with the Father. When it says there's only one Lord referring to Jesus, it's not meaning but the Father is not Lord. You see what I'm saying? So when it says that the Father is only one true God, that's in opposition to all these other false gods, but it's not in opposition to Jesus Christ. Isaiah 43, verse 11, says, I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. Now, from the Christadelphian and Watchtower perspective, this is definitely talking about God the Father. So God the Father says, I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. Well, if you take, if you use their reasoning on this, 
that would mean that Jesus is not a Savior. Because God the Father is saying, besides me there is no Savior. But we know the New Testament says over and over again that Jesus is the Savior. For he will save his people from their sins. You follow what I'm saying? So the contrast is with him, with everybody else, not with him and other persons in the same Godhead. 1 Kings 8.39, he says, For thou only, and from their perspective, this is talking about God the Father, for thou only knowest the hearts of men. Only, in other words, God the Father is the only one that can read a person's mind. Well, that's true. But does that rule out Jesus? In Luke 5.22, he read people's minds. So it, when it says God the Father only knows the hearts of men, it's not trying to rule out other persons in the same Godhead as being able to perform that. All right? Now we'll talk about using this same kind of terminology with some other uh, things besides God. Psalm 51, verse 4, David said, Against thee only have I sinned. Talking about against God only have I sinned. Does that mean he didn't sin against Bathsheba's husband? He did, didn't he? Because he committed adultery with Bathsheba's husband's wife, and then he had the husband killed. So he sinned against him too. Genesis 7, 23, And Noah only remained alive, and they that were with him in the ark. See the use of the word only? It didn't rule out the other people in the ark, did it? Genesis 22, 20, Take now thy son, thy only son Isaac. Well, he had another son, didn't he? Ishmael. All right. Any questions or comments on that? So it only there doesn't emphasize the fact of Well, it depends on who you're contrasting with. It, it, it does emphasize singleness, but it's but almost always there's a contrast. Who is it? Who is it only relative to? It's not only relative to persons in the Godhead. He's not the only true God comparing to them, but to all the false gods out there, the idols and everything else, and Baal, any other god, god that people had worshipped. Our first Corinthians 11, verse 3, number 3, shows God as the head. Remember, it says, I forget how, the, well, I'll just turn and read the verse. But it says God is the head of Christ, Christ is the head of man, man is the head of woman. Let's see, didn't she read that? First Corinthians 11, verse 3. All right, the head of Christ is God. So the head of Jesus is God the Father. Now here's their argument. Since God the Father is head or boss over Christ, that means he's superior to Christ. Therefore, Christ can't be God because God, by definition, can't be inferior to anything else. You follow what I'm saying? All right, response. I got uh, Colossians 2, 8 to 10. Colossians 2, 8, to, 8 through 10? Alright, I'm going to read that. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And you are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. And he dwells all the fullness of the Godhead Okay. The one thing they might say about this, though I wouldn't agree with them, is they could say, uh, you know, like the Holy Spirit dwells in Christians, but that doesn't make us God, right, at all. And they would say, well, so that God dwells in Jesus Christ, but that didn't mean Jesus Christ was God. But I don't agree with that. I agree with your point. Okay, anything else? Dan, do you have anything you wanted to add? Well, that was the answer to the one saying that who is the head of all principality and power? The answer comes from Christ. Right. So, they would say, of course, except the Father. All right. Now, how about this? When it says that God is the head of Christ, where I think they're making their mistake is by saying that means that God is superior in essence to Christ. I am the head of my wife. Does that make me superior in essence? To her? No. She's a human just like I am. We're equal in the sense that both of us are humans. When it says I am her head, it's talking about a role. It doesn't make me any better than her. And you, us guys know we better say that or we'll be in big trouble with our wives. It doesn't make us any better than our wives. It just means we have a different role. 
That's all it means. So this verse doesn't mean that God the Father is superior to Christ. No, they're both God. They're both deity. It just means they have a different role. God the Father has the role of like a father. Jesus Christ has the role of a son. And the Father naturally has headship over the son, right? But it doesn't mean one. my son is not inferior to me. But I do. I just have headship over him. Do you follow what I'm saying? Another, some other examples. I am subordinate to my boss at work. That is, he's my head. But he is not superior to me in essence. Both of us are just men. It's just the role. I, we've been placed that role. He's my boss. I've already said this, and my wife is subordinate to me. I am her head, but she is not inferior to me in essence. We're both human. Christ is subordinate to the Father. But Christ is not inferior to the Father in essence. They're both deity. Well, their nature would be the same. Yes, their nature. That's exactly right. Their nature is the same. Just like my wife's nature and my nature are the same. My boss's nature and my nature are the same. We're all human. Remember, Philippians 2.6, it says, Jesus thought it not robbery to be equal with God. So as far as essence, he was equal with him. As far as his nature, he was equal. They were both divine. They are both deity. Make sense? All right. The next two are very famous passages that the Watchtower folks use. Uh, we're on number four. Colossians 1.15 shows that Jesus was born, therefore created. Therefore, he was not deity. Dan, uh, you'll read Colossians 1.15 for us. Okay. So Jesus is the firstborn of every creature. Is my name. Read yours again. Firstborn over all creation. That trans- the little bit of difference in that translation actually uh, tends to uh, go toward the answer I would give on this. What did y'all get on this one? There's, this is the Watchtower, one of their favorite verses. Firstborn of every creature, that means he was created. He was the first one created. And of course, if you're created, you can't be God, okay?
he would uh, say, yeah, but for every passage on baptism that you have saying you have to do to be saved, I can give you ten showing you have to believe to be saved. To him it was like, I've got you beat a hundred to ten, you know. So, you know and, and, but I would respond, no, they, they're not contradicting one another. They're all true, you know. So we have to explain, we have to explain John 3.16. What does that mean? If it does, you know, if it, if it doesn't mean that belief is not the only thing you have to do to be saved, what does it mean? All right. Clock 1.15. Firstborn of every creature indicates that Jesus is supreme over all creatures, not that he is a created being. Alright? And your translation, the New King James, bore it out a little bit better. Uh, read that for us again, whoever's there. It, said it, it didn't say firstborn of every creature. It, uh, what did it say? Firstborn over. In the, and this is what I'm talking about here. Firstborn over every creature. In other words, he's supreme over all the creatures. This is firstborn in position, not time. With this firstborn over all creation, firstborn of, it's firstborn in position, not time. Let me give you an example of that. In Jeremiah 31, verse 9, it says, For I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. But if you go back and look at Genesis 48:14, Ephraim was actually the younger one. Manasseh was the firstborn. And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it upon Ephraim's head, who was the younger, and his left hand upon Manasseh's head, for Manasseh was the firstborn. So literally the first one born out of these two brothers was Manasseh, but Ephraim was considered the firstborn in position. And so verse 16 tells us the very point of Colossians 115. Colossians 115 is not trying to say he's the first created, but he's trying to say he's the most important. He's the supreme. He was, he's the boss. Let's look at verse 16. It says, For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. Do you see that? So he couldn't have been created because it says here that everything that was created was created by him. So he's not the first one in the creation in the sense he was the first one created, but in the sense he's the one that created it all. In control of it all. Alright? And then another one they like to use, Revelation 3.14. Daniel, read that. And to the angel of the church of the Lucians wrote, These things to the amen of the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Okay. Yeah, that was really good. I don't know what it is in answer to, but Okay, now their argument is that he's the beginning of the creation of God, therefore he's the first one created. Alright, you got a response? Yeah, when we look at the word beginning here, that means that the word doesn't necessarily mean chronology. It means over, supreme, the source of. Okay, did y'all look that up maybe in the Bible dictionary? That's, that's exactly, in effect, what I've got. Beginning of the creation of God indicates that Jesus is first in rank, not first to be created. Now here's this, I have beginning here, but it's actually the Greek word, which is strong 746. Now notice how my Wagram Green Bible Dictionary defines it. Authority, rule, or ruler. It could have been translated ruler of the creation of God. Here's examples of this first in rank meaning. In other words, and this is the same Greek word, okay? 1 Corinthians 15, 24, has put down all rules and all authority. And that's the same word as this word. Luke 12, 11, when they bring you into the synagogues and into the magistrates and powers. So these civil rulers, same Greek word as the beginning here. Luke 20, 20, deliver him into the power, same Greek word, and authority of the governor. Same, same Greek word. You see how it's come up? The ruling, ruler, principality, principality. So this is talking about first in rank. He's the ruler of the creation of God. We see that Jesus wasn't created. Here quickly I do what y'all been doing. I try to explain what the passage does mean, and then I show some passages elsewhere that would contradict what the meaning they're placing upon it. Micah 5, whose going forth had been from old, from everlasting. So his time goes back infinitely. He was never created. There was never a beginning to Jesus, just like there was never a beginning to the Father. It goes back to everlasting. John 1, 3, all things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Anything that was made was made by Jesus. Without him was not anything made that was made. 
So that, that, by definition, rules out Jesus as being created because anything that was created, he created it. So he can't be part of the creation because he couldn't have created himself. Right, we'll do one more chart and he'll quit. Notice, now, those passages, both of, both of them, the witnesses, the Watchtower folks, and the Christadelphians are saying that he was the first one created. Now, I guess the Christadelphians wouldn't say that because they don't believe he was created until he was born physically. I guess we're talking about mainly the Watchtower witnesses. You know what I'm talking about. Watchtower. All right. Who Eric's talking about in his classes. But notice that Jesus is co-eternal with the Father. Isaiah 44, verse 6. We've already been over this. Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. Remember, both of them are talking like Pat and Carol. I am the first, I am the last, and besides me there is no God. Now, y'all know what the Tetragrammaton is? That's the Hebrew word that's God's name in the Old Testament. Alright? That's the name for the word. Alright? The name of God in the Old Testament starts with a J. Yes. This is a name for the word. It's not what translating the word. But in the, in the King James, when you see that word, they change the word. Instead of translating with his name, they'll put Lord. All right? So and this is the Tetragrammaton. And the Watchtower folks always think that's referring, you know, to an eternal God. God the Father is actually what they think. But it says, Thus saith the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. That has to be Jesus Christ. He's, the Tetragrammaton refers to him here. Revelation 1.17, Fear not, I am the first and the last. Talking about Jesus. Revelation 22.13, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Isaiah 9.6, For unto us a child is born, his name shall be called the Everlasting Father. Micah 5, verse 2, Who is going forth and then from everlasting. So Jesus is co-eternal with the Father. He can't be the first created person or being. Of course, the reason they're trying to say he's the first created thing is because they know that God, if you're God, you can't be a created thing. And so, but these verses show that Jesus is co-eternal with the Father, and therefore he was not created. Follow my reasoning? Okay, we'll start there next time. And that means we've got through on the homework, we've got through uh, number five. We have three more questions on the homework. And I have about six charts to show. If I, if I get through way early, if I get through just a little early, we'll take a break. If I get through way early, I might start on another topic, like solo scriptor or homosexuality or something. But if we get only 15 minutes, we'll just take a 15-minute break or something. I'm talking about tomorrow, okay?